you are a good, good Father. And God, we stand in your presence because we believe that. You are amazing and worthy of our worship. And Father, as we As we stand here in your presence, God, we lift up your name. We glorify you. God, you are worthy to be praised. And God, we are so thankful for everything that you have done for us. God, and that you continue to do. God, as the weeks go on and as hardships endure, God, we have faith in you and what you do for us. God, we love you. And we submit this day and this time to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, take a seat. So I just want to take a minute to acknowledge, yes, I am not feeling well. If I sound a little stuffy, that's why. But I also want to acknowledge that Pastor Lindsay and I have failed you. You see, we have been talking about the basics of discipleship, and especially in the context, trying to frame it in a baseball mindset. And I'm going to be or turn off the monitors. <clears throat> but we have been talking about the basics of discipleship. For those of you who haven't been here for the whole sermon series, it's a look at discipleship through terms of baseball. And we've been touching on the bases of discipleship. Uh, First, with starting at home plate, being personal discipleship. Moving on to first base, that's discipleship within a community. Second base, discipleship in your circle of influence. I'm going to move back because I think I'm picking things up. (laughs) And then third base, today, discipleship within the world. Now, at the beginning of this sermon, we unknowingly participated in a baseball tradition, and that is throwing out the first pitch. If you will recall, the first sermon series, Jackie threw a baseball at a strike zone. And that kind of was our first pitch. And so today, we're going to participate in another baseball tradition. We are going to do the seventh inning stretch. Now, the seventh inning stretch happens between the seventh inning, uh, the top and the bottom of the seventh inning. And so it's three quarters of the way through the game. I figured since we're three-quarters of the way through the sermon series, we're going to do a seventh-inning stretch. So I want everyone to get up, and I want you all to begin stretching. And we are going to actually do what you're supposed to do during the seventh-inning stretch. And we've got words up here for you. So if you have never done this before, you can say you've done it in church. Popcorn. I know. All right, here we go. Take me out to the ball game. (laughs) 
take me out to the crowd Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks I don't care if I ever get back for its root Root, root for the home team If they don't win it's a shame For it's one, two, three strikes You're out at the old ball game Play ball! All right, now you can sit. I will admit, that was awkward, right? That was awkward. If that's the most awkward thing that happens today, then we're okay, right? Unfortunately, that won't be the most awkward thing. But I digress. Uh, there is actually little evidence to show where the seventh inning stretch actually came from. Nobody knows, and I did quite a bit of research this week to find out what, where did the seventh inning stretch come from. And as it turns out, the first reference towards it was by a man called Harry Wright. And he was writing a letter in 1869 to his friend. So you'll have to forgive some of these words because they sound a little interesting, but... It says, the spectators all arise between halves of the seventh inning, extend their legs and arms, and sometimes walk about. In doing so, they enjoy the relief afforded by relaxation from a long posture upon hard benches. Yeah, sometimes, you know, three quarters, of the, maybe I should have done the seventh inning stretch three quarters of the way through the sermon, but... But that's not the most popular story about the seventh inning stretch. Uh, it's longly attributed, it's long been attributed to President William Howard Taft. You see, in 1910, when he was visiting Pittsburgh on a base, in a baseball game, uh, he got up to stretch. Now, most of the stadium, believing that the president was about to leave the game, stood up out of respect for the office. So you might have heard that story before, but that has largely been the founding or the story of the origination of the seventh inning stretch. Now, I want you to tuck this useless piece of information away uh, for your, in your useless piece of knowledge folder as we begin our last sermon series in Major League Discipleship. And today, as I stated, we are on third base, and that is discipleship within the world. And understandably, it's kind of an awkward conversation to have, right? We started off awkward, and we're going to keep going in the awkward. Uh, because inevitably, when we talk about discipleship within the world, that means we're going to ask people to get out of their comfort zones. That means we actually have to talk to people we don't want to talk to. That means we're going to have to do things we don't want to do. And quite frankly, if you've been here long enough, this is the same old song and dance that I've been saying every time I get up here. Step out of your comfort zone. And I'm sure you're really tired of me hearing me say that. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It's my job to tell you to step out of your comfort zone. Me as a discipleship pastor, my whole goal is to get you to step out of your comfort zone so you can do the things that Jesus has called you to do. And not just you, but me too. 
And uh, so if you want that to change, I suggest taking it up with Lindsay. I don't think it's going to work, but you can try. Now, because of the nature of the topic today, discipleship in the world, I think we can all agree that it's something we are all supposed to do, right? I've, there have been very few sermons where I don't reference the Great Commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to do the same thing, and know this, I will be with you to the end of the age. Okay, so I got it out of the way for this sermon. You, can, you don't have to worry about it anymore. But we never really stop to understand how do we disciple? How do we disciple the world? What does that even look like? What does that mean? Because truth is, every day, it seems that God and the world are growing more and more distant. That there's this huge gap between God and society, and every day it grows larger and larger. And the question is, how do we bridge that gap? And that, is that even our job to do? Are we the ones that are supposed to bridge that gap, or is that someone else's job? You see, like it or not, culture is changing. If you don't believe me, then let me throw this little nugget of information out to you. You see, there used to be a time where church was the place to go to when you had hardship. Nowadays, that's not so true. You see, church is no longer the primary place that people go to when they are need, in need. And in truth, sometimes church is the last place they go to when they're checking out Jesus. That sounds bizarre, I know, but I will reveal this little nugget of truth to you. Why would I go to a church when I got this? Why would I go to church when I can just do something as simple as Okay, Google, what does God say about divorce? Something went wrong. Please try again. Well, you're not helping me, Google. Something went wrong. Please try again. Well, isn't that the definition of divorce, right? Wow. That was actually pretty perfect. But honestly, why would people go to the church when they can just Google it? You see, Pastor Google knows a lot of things. Pastor Google can tell you what divorce means in the Bible. Pastor Google can tell you what does depression mean. And honestly, we're trusting the internet with a lot of knowledge. We put a lot of trust and faith in the internet. And the scary thing is that we can blame the internet. If uh, those of you years ago were paying attention, Justin Bieber used to, uh, did this poll on where was he going to tour next. And the trolls of the internet took up a banner and they voted that Justin Bieber's going to begin a music tour in North Korea. 
You see, this is the internet that we are trusting information to. I mean, Gandhi has even fell victim to this. I saw a quote by Gandhi where he was saying that even my quotes have been misused on Instagram. <laughs> Obviously, the internet is a trustworthy source. But the church is no longer the primary place that people go to. And this is the grim reality that we all have to face. So, what is a Christian to do? How do we, how do we fight this? What are we supposed to do about this? Well, to find our answer, we're going to look in the book of Matthew, chapter 9, verse 35, or starting at 35. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest, or Lord who is in charge of the harvest, and ask him to send more workers into his fields. You see, this scripture shows us everything that we need to know when it comes to discipling the world. And there are some key things that we absolutely must pick up on here. And the first thing that we have to realize is that we must go. Read again, it says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages throughout that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the the good news about the kingdom, and he healed every kind of disease and illness. You see, Jesus didn't wait. He wasn't waiting for people to come to him. And believe me, people were coming to him. He had a quite the name at this point. And yet, even with his reputation, he still went throughout all the cities and the synagogues in that area. We see Jesus going. And the good news that Jesus was bringing with him was the kingdom of God is near. You see, this good news that Jesus is preaching is the very same good news that we preach today. In fact, we call the gospel the good news. But have we ever stopped to ask ourselves, is it really good news? Is it really good news? And as good Christians, we say, of course it is. Of course it's good news. But I fear our actions betray us. You see, there was a time that I had an opportunity to share Jesus. I was with a co-worker once, and I was giving him a ride home, uh, and unfortunately, this co-worker was, to say he was inebriated is a vast understatement. The man was so slobbering drunk, and believe it or not, this man was more vocal about his faith and his drunkenness than I was at my sober points, because I got to know his beliefs and his thoughts on Jesus, and whether we were going to heaven or to hell, and then the conversation took a sudden shift. The man wanted to know 
what my beliefs were, what my faith was, what my faith looked like. And at this point, I knew this is it. This is my time to share. And then I paused as one single thought entered my mind. It might be in yours at this point. Is he even going to remember this conversation? <laughs> the man was so stinking drunk, like I, couldn't, I could barely follow his train of thought. I had little doubt that he would never be able to follow mine. And so, I didn't. I didn't think that I could make it through his drunkenness. So I didn't share. Whether in a moment of weakness or in a moment of fear, I didn't share Jesus with him. And I suspect that I'm not the only one with a story like that, with a missed opportunity. Now, in my case, I worked with this man, so I got to ask him the next day, hey, do you remember what happened? And I was right. He didn't. There was very little of that conversation that he remembered. But the point is, that we all have those moments of weakness. We all have those times in which we stumble or where fear stops us. But the truth is, God's not asking for perfect people. God's not asking for perfect players. He's just asking for players. He's asking for people to be faithful. Many of you or some of you might know who Reggie Jackson is. He's a very famous baseball player. And in fact, in his career, he has hit 563 home runs. An impressive feat uh, considering that he's only 200 behind the leader. But Reggie Jackson also holds a different record. He has the most strikeouts that a batter could ever have. Maybe not could ever, but he is the current leader in strikeouts. Meaning every time he's, uh, there were more often times that he struck out at a plate than he did hit a home run. And yet, in 1993, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame. A star player. And people remember him by his charisma and the great plays that he did. And it shows us that we don't need to be perfect to be Hall of Famers. We just need to play the game and play it at our hardest. We need to be doing our due diligence. But until our actions fall in line with our words, we're not playing the game. You see, the gospel must be good news to us if we're going to be sharing it with others. Is the gospel good news to you? You see, Luke chapter 8 tells of a story of a man afflicted by a multitude of demons. In fact, so many demons that the group had a name, Legion. And so, this man, afflict, so afflicted by demons, who was, he was homeless and naked. And every time he tried to be, they tried to restrain him, he would break chains. That's incredible. Some incredible strength. And 
this man eventually came face to face with Jesus. Bowing down at his feet, he said, have mercy on me, God. And when Jesus freed him from his demonic oppression, we get to see what happens next. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went through all the ta- or he went through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. See, to this man, the gospel was worth sharing. You see, to this man, the gospel was good news. And he told everyone, regardless of whether they believed him or not, he told everyone the story of what had happened to him. Even the par- probably the parts where he said, yeah, I was naked, but Jesus found me. Yeah, I was insane out of my mind, but Jesus met me there. Because the truth is, if we don't believe that Jesus has the best forgiveness and the best love this side of heaven, we don't know what it means to be Christians. And if we don't believe that that is worth sharing, then we truly don't understand who Jesus is. You see, we have to believe the work we are doing in the name of Jesus means something. We have to believe that what we are doing has great value. Not just in the eyes of God who is telling us to go out and do this, but the eyes in the eyes of those who we are explaining who Jesus is to. Because it is good news. You see, let's look again in Matthew. We see Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into the fields. You see, during this time where Jesus is in his ministry, the people are looking for guidance. The people are desperate for guidance. We see that they are confused and lost like sheep without a shepherd. And the truth is that the Israelites of that day did in fact have guidance. We called them the scribes, the Levites, the priests, and the Pharisees. Now, if you've read the Bible at any point uh, and you've heard what Jesus calls some of these Pharisees, it's not nice. These men were not great leaders. They had it out only for themselves. They were looking out for themselves and making themselves look good. And so it only makes sense that we, we see a people that are lost and desperate for guidance. And this is why Jesus' ministry is so amazing. This is why Jesus' ministry is so effective. Fast forward to today. And we see not much has changed. Humanity is still lost, even more so now that they are trusting Pastor Google for their answers. And then we stand 
perhaps focused on ourselves, not helping others. And even today, we find Jesus lamenting that the harvest is great, but the workers are few. Now, the mood is heavy right now. I get that. But there's a silver lining to all of this. There is an upside to all of this, you see. With the desperation that we see in the world, with all that is going wrong, we talk ourselves into believing we can't do this, that we don't have it in ourselves that we could ever talk to someone about Jesus. And maybe, maybe you're right. Maybe we couldn't do this. I guarantee you can't do this alone, though. And the truth is, we aren't alone. We don't have to worry about this. The Bible promises us in Isaiah chapter 49, don't be afraid, for I am with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will hold you up in my victorious right hand. In all of this Scripture, we have nothing to fear. God is for us. He holds us with His victorious right hand. And anything that we do in His field to harvest will return a bountiful harvest. One of the earliest memories I have of baseball. You see, I remember watching this baseball game. And you see the batter up in the batter's box, getting ready to swing at a pitch. And I'm, I'm looking at the baseball field, and I was like, who's that man? And you see a, a guy that's on the same team as the batter standing by third base. And I'm like, what is that man doing there? Are they trying to cheat? Because if they are, they're not going to get away with it. If I see it, I know the umpire sees it, and he's not getting on third base. Come to find out, that man, the man standing, Cole, right there, he's a third base coach. And his whole job is to relay information to the runners. So in the, in the case of this picture, he's telling the runner, keep running, go to home. Scoring is assured, keep running. And the truth is that we all have a third base coach that is waving us home and saying, keep running, you're going to score. A man that is out there that is giving us guidance and saying what, telling us what to do and how to do it. Telling us exactly how we can harvest this field. See, the truth is, God is on the field. And He is present, giving us guidance, telling us how we can do our job, giving us the courage and the strength to keep going. You see, God is not sending us into a field that He is not willing to work Himself. God is not sending us into a field alone, not without the people that you see within this building. You see, 
God is leading us into the world for the express purpose of guiding those who are lost to salvation. And that is the whole thing that God is pointing to with the harvest is great, but the workers are few. You see, God is providing opportunities for us to connect with people in meaningful ways. And that can be something super simple as just asking someone, how's your day going? As long as you are genuinely trying to figure out how are you doing and you keep asking, you will get honest answers. And it's in these parts where we can give honest replies, life-saving truth. It can also be as simple as connecting with other people through baseball trivia, useless baseball trivia, like, oh, say, seventh inning stretches? I don't know. So you can take that useless seventh inning stretch information and put it in the icebreaker folder now. Use it in a conversation, and I guarantee you will have this opportunity to say, hey, you know where I learned this information? At my church. You're welcome. (laughs) But the truth is, the biggest opportunity is coming. The biggest opportunity of all is upon us. You see... Like it or love it, Christmas is coming. Now, I'm with you guys. And I, like those of you who are like, Thanksgiving hasn't come yet, Christmas doesn't exist. Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday. But, like it or love it, Christmas is coming. <laughs> la, 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 la. You see... The truth is, during this time, we sing all kinds of songs about how Jesus has come. Emmanuel, God with us. And during this season, we have a tremendous opportunity because it's now that people are far more receptive to hearing Christ than anything else. You see, the truth is, it's so much easier now It's so much easier now to invite someone to a Christmas Eve service because it's, for some people, it's tradition. Once a year, you go to a Christmas Eve service. And we as a church, we want to provide you opportunities to invite not just your friends, not just your family, but everyone you meet. Your cashier who's checking out your PJs for PJ Sunday. But those who love decorating for Christmas, I'll tell you, I know people who love decorating for Christmas and they will decorate no matter where they go. It doesn't matter whether they're decorating a church, decorating their house, decorating a stranger's house. If decoration for Christmas will be happening, they will be there. We have cookie wars coming up. Look, I don't care what you believe. When bakers are fighting over who has the best cookie, we all win. I'm just saying. And Christmas Eve, we have our pancake service. Early in the morning, you don't have to bake breakfast. They don't have to bake breakfast. They just have to show up and I will bake them breakfast. Okay, maybe don't tell them I'm baking breakfast. But 
All we have to do is invite people into these opportunities. We don't have to have the deepest knowledge of their understanding or the deepest understanding of their lives. God is just calling us to step into the field that is ripe for harvest. You see, the harvest is great. But we are the workers. It's time for us to take up our position and begin the work that God has called us to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have, God, you have called us into the fields, God, in among your harvest. And Father, we pray that as we enter this time of Advent, God, as we enter this time where we celebrate that you have sent your Son, God, let us not lose focus of the reason you sent your Son to seek and to save the lost. And God, that it is our calling, each and every one of us, to share the gospel, the good news. And Father, I pray that as we go through this week and we enter this time of celebration, Lord, that you would bring to our mind the times and the opportunities to share your name. And Father, that you would give us the courage and the determination to invite anyone who would listen. God, whether they believe or not, like the man possessed by the demons, God, may we proclaim it to whoever whoever would hear our voice. God, as we enter in this time of worship, may we take this song to heart personally. Lord, and may we let your praises and your good news echo. It is in your name we pray. Amen.